0: Hello, and welcome to Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality, the podcast. Written by Eliezer Yudkowsky, read by Inyash Brodsky, based on the works of J.K. Rowling. Second half of Chapter 7, Reciprocation. Five knuts? You can sell reality-manipulating fizzy drinks for five knuts, the can? Harry reached into his pouch, said, Four sickles, four knuts, and slapped them down on the counter. Two dozen cans, please. I'll also take one. Draco sighed and started to reach for his pockets. Harry shook his head rapidly. No, I've got this. Doesn't count as a favor either. I want to see if it works for you, too. He took a can from the stack now placed on the counter and tossed it to Draco, then started feeding his pouch. The pouch's widening lip ate the cans accompanied by small burping noises, which wasn't exactly helping to restore Harry's faith that he would someday discover a reasonable explanation for all this. Twenty-two burps later, Harry had the last purchased can in his hand. Draco was looking at him expectantly, and the two of them pulled the ring at the same time. Harry rolled up his scarf to expose his mouth, and they tilted their heads back and drank the ComEd tea. It somehow tasted bright green, extra fizzy and limer than lime. Aside from that, nothing else happened. Harry looked at the stallholder, who was watching them benevolently. All right, if this guy just took advantage of a natural accident to sell me 24 cans of nothing, I'm going to applaud his creative entrepreneurial spirit and then kill him. It doesn't always happen immediately, the stallholder said. But it's guaranteed to happen once per can or your money back. Harry took another long drink. Once again, nothing happened. Maybe I should just chug the whole thing as fast as possible and hope my stomach doesn't explode from all the carbon dioxide or that I don't burp while drinking it. No, he could afford to be a little patient. But honestly, Harry didn't see how this was going to work. You couldn't go up to someone and say... Now I'm going to surprise you! Or, And now I'm going to tell you the punchline of the joke and it'll be really funny. It ruined the shock value. In Harry's state of mental preparedness, Lucius Malfoy could have walked past in a ballerina outfit and it wouldn't have made him do a proper spit take. Just what sort of wacky shenanigan was the universe supposed to cough up now? Anyway, let's sit down, Harry said. He prepared to swig another drink and started toward the distant seating area, which put him at the right angle to glance back and see the portion of the stall's newspaper stand that was devoted to a newspaper called The Quibbler, which was showing the following headline. Boy who lived gets Draco Malfoy pregnant! (laughs) Gah! screamed Draco as bright green liquid sprayed all over him from Harry's direction. Draco turned to Harry with fire in his eyes and grabbed his own can. You son of a mudblood! Let's see how you like being spat upon! Draco took a deliberate swig from the can, just as his own eyes caught sight of the headline. In sheer reflex action, Harry tried to block his face as the spray of liquid flew in his direction. Unfortunately, he blocked using the hand containing the comed tea, sending the rest of the green liquid to splash out over his shoulder. Harry stared at the can in his hand, even as he went on choking and spluttering, and the green color started to vanish from Draco's robes. Then he looked up and stared at the newspaper headline. Boy who lived gets Draco Malfoy pregnant. Harry's lips opened and said, "B, b, b, Too many competing objections. That was the problem. Every time Harry tried to say, But we're only eleven! The objection, But men can't get pregnant! demanded first priority, and was then run over by, But there's nothing between us! Really! Then Harry looked down at the can in his hand again. He was feeling a deep-seated desire to run away screaming at the top of his lungs until he dropped from lack of oxygen and the only thing stopping him was that he had once read that outright panic was the sign of a truly important scientific problem. Harry snarled, threw the can violently into a nearby rubbish bin, and stalked back over to the stall. One copy of the Quibbler, please! Harry paid over four more knuts, received another can of Comet tea from his pouch, and then stalked over to the picnic area with the blond haired boy, who was staring at his own can with an expression of frank admiration. I take it back, Draco said. That was pretty good. Hey, Draco, you know what I bet is even better for becoming friends than exchanging secrets? Committing murder! I have a tutor who says that, Draco allowed. He reached inside his robes and scratched himself with an easy, natural motion. Who've you got in mind? Harry slammed the quibbler down hard on the picnic table. The guy who came up with this headline! Draco groaned. Not a guy. A girl. A ten-year-old girl, can you believe it? She went nuts after her mother died, and her father, who owns this newspaper, is convinced that she's a seer. So when he doesn't know, he asks Luna Lovegood and believes anything she says. Not really thinking about it, Harry pulled the ring on his next can of Comet tea and prepared to drink. Are you kidding me? That's even worse than muggle journalism! which I would have thought was physically impossible. Draco snarled. She has some sort of perverse obsession about the Malfoys, too, and her father is politically opposed to us, so he prints every word. As soon as I'm old enough, I'm going to rape her. Green liquid spurted out of Harry's nostrils, soaking into the scarf still covering that area. Comety and lungs did not mix, and Harry spent the next few seconds frantically coughing. Draco looked at him sharply. Something wrong. It was at this point that Harry came to the sudden realization that A. The sounds coming from the rest of the train platform had turned into more of a blurred white noise at around the same time Draco had reached inside his robes, and B. When he had discussed committing murder as a bonding method there had been exactly one person in the conversation who'd thought they were joking. Right, because he seemed like such a normal kid. And he is a normal kid. He is just what you'd expect a baseline male child to be like if Darth Vader were his doting father. Yes, well... Harry coughed. Oh god, how was he going to get out of this conversational wedge? I was just surprised at how you were willing to discuss it so openly. You didn't seem worried about getting caught or anything. Draco snorted. Are you joking? Luna Lovegood's word against mine? Holy crap on a holy stick. There's no such thing as magical truth detection, I take it. Or DNA testing. Yet. Draco looked around. His eyes narrowed. That's right. You don't know anything. Look, I'll explain things to you, I mean the way it really works, just like you were already in Slytherin and asked me the same question, but you've got to swear not to say anything about it. I swear! The courts use veritaserum, but it's a joke, really. You get yourself obliviated before you testify, and then claim the other person was memory charmed with a fake memory. Of course, if you're just some normal person, the courts presume in favor of obliviation, not false memory charms. But the court has discretion, and if I'm involved, then it impinges on the honor of a noble house. So it goes to the wizengammit, where father has the votes. After I'm found not guilty, the Lovegood family has to pay reparations for tarnishing my honor. And they know from the start that's how it'll go, so they'll just keep their mouths shut. A cold chill was coming over Harry, a chill that came with instructions to keep his voice and face normal. Note to self. Overthrow government of magical Britain at earliest convenience. Harry coughed again to clear his throat. Draco, please, please, please don't take this the wrong way. My word is my bond, but like you said, I could be in Slytherin, and I really want to ask for informational purposes, so what would happen, theoretically speaking, if I did testify that I'd heard you plan it? Then if I was anyone other than a Malfoy, I'd be in trouble, Draco answered smugly. Since I am a Malfoy, father has the votes, and afterward he'd crush you. Well. I guess not easily, since you are the boy who lived. But father is pretty good at that sort of thing. Draco frowned. Sides, you talked about murdering her. Why weren't you worried about me testifying after she turns up dead? How, oh how, did my day go this wrong? Harry's mouth was already moving faster than he could think. That's when I thought she was older! I don't know how it works here, but in Muggle Britain, the courts would get a lot more upset about someone killing a child. That makes sense, Draco said, still looking a bit suspicious. But anyway, it's always smarter if it doesn't go to the Aurors at all. If we're careful only to do things that Healing Charms can fix, we can just obliviate her afterwards and then do it all again next week. Then the blonde-haired boy giggled, a youthful, high-pitched sound. Though just imagine her saying she'd been done by Draco Malfoy and the boy who lived. Not even Dumbledore would believe her. I'm going to tear apart your pathetic little magical remnant of the Dark Ages into pieces smaller than its constituent atoms. Actually, can we hold off on that? After I found out that the headline came from a girl a year younger than me, I had a different thought for my revenge. Huh? Do tell. Draco said, and started to take another swig of his ComEd tea. Harry didn't know if the enchantment worked more than once per can, but he did know he could avoid the blame, so he was careful to time it exactly right. "'I was thinking, someday, I'm going to marry that woman.'" Draco made a horrid, kersplutching sound that leaked green fluid out the corners of his mouth like a broken car radiator. "'Are you nuts?' "'Quite the opposite.'" I'm so sane, it burns like ice. You've got weirder taste than a Lestrange, Draco said, sounding half-admiring about it. And I suppose you want her all to yourself, huh? Yep, I can owe you a favor for it. Draco waved it off. Nah, this one's free. Harry stared down at the can in his hand, the coldness settling into his blood. Charming, happy. Generous with his favors to his friends, Draco wasn't a psychopath. That was the sad and awful part. Knowing human psychology well enough to know that Draco wasn't a monster. There had been 10,000 societies over the history of the world where this conversation could have happened. No, the world would have been a very different place indeed if it took an evil mutant to say what Draco had said. It was very simple very human. It was the default if nothing else intervened. To Draco, his enemies weren't people. And in the slowed time of this slowed country, here and now as in the darkness before dawn prior to the Age of Reason, the son of a sufficiently powerful noble would simply take for granted that he was above the law, at least when it came to some peasant girl. There were places in Muggleland where it was still the same way, Countries where that sort of nobility still existed and still thought like that, or even grimmer lands where it wasn't just the nobility, it was like that in every place and time that didn't descend directly from the Enlightenment. A line of descent, it seemed, which didn't quite include Magical Britain, for all that there had been cross-cultural contamination of things like ringpole drink cans. And if Draco doesn't change his mind about wanting revenge, and I don't throw away my own chance at happiness in life to marry some poor crazy girl, then all I've just bought is time, and not too much of it. For one girl, not for others. I wonder how difficult it would be to just make a list of all the top blood purists and kill them. They tried exactly that during the French Revolution, more or less. Make a list of all the enemies of progress and remove everything above the neck. And it hadn't worked out well from what Harry recalled. Maybe he needed to dust off some of those history books his father had bought him, and see if what had gone wrong with the French Revolution was something easy to fix. Harry gazed up at the sky, at the pale shape of the moon, visible this morning through the cloudless air. So the world is broken and flawed and insane, and cruel and bloody and dark. This is news? You always knew that anyway. You're looking all serious, Draco said. Let me guess, your muggle parents told you that this sort of thing was bad. Harry nodded, not quite trusting his voice. Well, like Father says, there may be four houses, but in the end, everyone belongs to either Slytherin or Hufflepuff. And frankly, you're not on the Hufflepuff end. If you decide to side with the Malfoys under the table, our power and your reputation, you could get away with things even I can't do. Want to try it for a while? See what it's like? Aren't we a clever little serpent, eleven years old and already coaxing your prey from hiding? Harry thought, considered, chose his weapon. Draco, you want to explain the whole blood purity thing to me? I'm sort of new. A wide smile crossed Draco's face. You really should meet father and ask him, you know. He's our leader. Give me the thirty-second version. Okay. He drew in a deep breath, and his voice grew slightly lower and took on a cadence. Our powers have grown weaker, generation by generation, as the mudblood taint increases. Where Salazar and Godric and Erwina and Helga once raced Hogwarts by their power, creating the locket and the sword and the diadem and the cup, no wizard in these faded days has risen to rival them. We are fading, all fading into muggles as we interbreed with their spawn and allow our squibs to live. If the taint is not checked, soon our wands will break and all our arts cease. The line of Merlin will end, and the blood of Atlantis fail. Our children will be left scratching at the dirt to survive like the mere muggles, and darkness will cover the world forever. Draco took another swig from his drinks can, looking satisfied. That seemed to be the whole argument as far as he was concerned. Persuasive, Harry said, meaning it descriptively rather than normatively. It was a standard pattern, the fall from grace, the need to guard what purity remained against contamination, the past sloping upwards and the future sloping only down. And that pattern also had its counter. I have to correct you on one point of fact, though. Your information about the Muggles is a bit out of date. We aren't exactly scratching at the dirt anymore. Draco's head snapped around. What? What do you mean, we? We, the scientists, the line of Francis Bacon and the blood of the Enlightenment. Muggles don't just sit around crying about not having wands. We have our own powers now, with or without magic. If all your powers fail, then we will have lost something very precious, because your magic is the only hint we have as to how the universe must really work. But you won't be left scratching at the ground. Your houses will still be cool in summer and warm in winter. There will still be doctors and medicine. Science can keep you alive if magic fails. It'd be a tragedy, but not literally the end of all light in the world. Just saying. Draco had backed up several feet and his face was full of mixed fear and disbelief. What in the name of Merlin are you talking about, Potter? Hey, I listened to your story. Won't you listen to mine? Clumsy, Harry chided himself, but Draco actually did stop backing off and seemed to listen. Anyway, I'm saying that you don't seem to have been paying much attention to what goes on in the muggle world. Probably because the whole wizarding world seemed to regard the rest of Earth as a slum, deserving around as much news coverage as the financial times awarded to the routine agonies of Burundi. All right, quick check. Have wizards ever been to the moon? You know, that thing. Harry pointed up to that huge and distant globe. What? It was pretty clear that the thought had never occurred to the boy. Go to the... It's just a... His finger pointed at the little pale thingy in the sky. You can't apparate to somewhere you've never been. And how would anyone get to the moon in the first place? Hold on. I'd like to show you a book I brought with me. I think I remember what box it's in. And Harry stood up and kneeled down and yanked at the stairs to the cavern level of his trunk, then tore down the stairs and heaved a box off another box, coming perilously close to treating his books with disrespect, and snatched off the box cover and quickly but carefully pried out a stack of books. Harry had inherited the nigh-magical Varus ability to remember where all his books were, even after seeing them just once, which was rather mysterious considering the lack of any genetic connection. And Harry raced back up the stairs and shoved the staircase back into the trunk with his heel and, panting, turned the pages of the book until he found the picture he wanted to show to Draco. The one with the white, dry, cratered land, and the suited people and the blue-white globe hanging over it all. That picture. The picture, if only one picture in all the world were to survive. That, Harry said, his voice trembling because he couldn't quite keep the pride out, is what the Earth looks like from the moon. Draco slowly leaned over. There was a strange expression on his young face. If that's a real picture, why isn't it moving? Moving? Oh. Muggles can do moving pictures, but they need a bigger box to show it. They can't fit them onto single book pages yet. Draco's finger moved to one of the suits. What are those? His voice starting to waver. Those are human beings. They are wearing suits that cover their whole bodies to give them air, because there is no air on the moon. That's impossible. Possible, Draco whispered. There was terror in his eyes and utter confusion. No muggle could ever do that. How? Harry took back the book, flipped the pages until he found what he saw. This is a rocket going up. The fire pushes it higher and higher until it gets to the moon. Flipped pages again. This is a rocket on the ground. That tiny speck next to it is a person. Draco gasped. Going to the moon cost the equivalent of probably around a thousand million galleons. Draco choked. And it took the efforts of probably more people than live in all of magical Britain. And when they arrived, they left a plaque that said, We came in peace for all mankind. Though you're not yet ready to hear those words, Draco Malfoy. You're telling the truth. You wouldn't fake a whole book just for this. And I can hear it in your voice. But... But... How? Without wands or magic? It's a long story, Draco. Science doesn't work by waving wands and chanting spells. It works by knowing how the universe works on such a deep level that you know exactly what to do in order to make the universe do what you want. If magic is like casting Imperio on someone to make them do what you want, then science is like knowing them so well that you can convince them it was their own idea all along. It's a lot more difficult than waving a wand, but it works when wands fail. Just like if the Imperius failed, you could still try persuading a person. And science builds from generation to generation. You have to really know what you're doing to do science. And when you really understand something, you can explain it to someone else. The greatest scientists of one century ago, the brightest names that are still spoken with reverence, their powers are as nothing to the greatest scientists of today. There is no equivalent in science of your lost arts that raised Hogwarts. In science, our powers wax by the year. And we are beginning to understand and unravel the secrets of life and inheritance. We'll be able to look at the very blood of which you spoke and see what makes you a wizard. And in one or two more generations, we'll be able to persuade that blood to make all of your children powerful wizards too. So you see, your problem isn't nearly as bad as it looks, because in a few more decades, science will be able to solve it for you. But if muggles have that kind of power, then what are we? No, Draco, that's not it, don't you see? Science taps the power of human understanding to look at the world and figure out how it works. It can't fail without humanity itself failing. Your magic could turn off and you would hate that, but you would still be you. You would still be alive to regret it. But because science rests upon my human intelligence, it is the power that cannot be removed from me without removing me. Even if all the laws of the universe change on me so that all my knowledge is void, I'll just figure out the new laws, as has been done before. It's not a muggle thing. It's a human thing. It just refines and trains the power you use every time you look at something you don't understand and ask why. You're of Slytherin, Draco. Don't you see the implication? Draco looked up from the book to Harry. His face showed a dawning understanding. Wizards can learn to use this power. Very careful now. The bait is set, now the hook. If you can learn to think of yourself as a human instead of as a wizard, then you can train and refine your powers as a human. And if that instruction wasn't in every science curriculum, Draco didn't need to know it, did he? Draco's eyes were now thoughtful. You've already done this? To some extent, Harry allowed. My training isn't complete, not at eleven. But my father also bought me tutors, you see. Sure, they'd been starving grad students, and it had only been because Harry slept on a twenty-six hour cycle, but leave that aside for now. Slowly, Draco nodded. You think you can master both arts, add the powers together, and... Draco stared at Harry. Make yourself lord of the two worlds. Harry gave an evil laugh. It just seemed to come naturally at that point. You have to realize, Draco, that the whole world you know, all of Magical Britain, is just one square on a much larger game board. The game board that includes places like the moon and the stars in the night sky, which are lights just like the sun, only unimaginably far away and things like galaxies that are vastly huger than the Earth and Sun. Things so large that only scientists can see them, and you don't even know they exist. But I really am Ravenclaw, you know, not Slytherin. I don't want to rule the universe. I just think it could be more sensibly organized. There was awe on Draco's face. Why are you telling me this? Oh, there aren't many people who know how to do true science. Understanding something for the very first time, even if it confuses the hell out of you. Help would be helpful. Draco stared at Harry with his mouth open. But make no mistake, Draco, true science really isn't like magic. You can't just do it and walk away unchanged like learning how to say the words of a new spell. The power comes with a cost. A cost so high that most people refuse to pay it. Draco nodded at this as though, finally, he'd heard something he could understand. And that cost? Learning to admit you're wrong. Um, Draco said after the dramatic pause had stretched on for a while. You going to explain that? Trying to figure out how something works on that deep level, the first 99 explanations you come up with are wrong. The hundredth is right. So you have to learn how to admit you're wrong over and over and over again. It doesn't sound like much, but it's so hard that most people can't do science. Always questioning yourself. Always taking another look at things you've always taken for granted. Like having a snitch in Quidditch. And every time you change your mind, you change yourself. But I'm getting way ahead of myself here. Way ahead of myself. I just want you to know... I'm offering to share some of my knowledge, if you want. There's just one condition. Uh Uh-huh. You know, father says that when someone says that to you, it is never a good sign. Ever. Harry nodded. Now, don't mistake me and think that I'm trying to drive a wedge between you and your father. It's not about that. It's just about me wanting to deal with someone my own age, rather than having this be between me and Lucius. I think your father would be okay with that, too. He knows you have to grow up sometime. But your moves in our game have to be your own. That's my condition. That I'm dealing with you, Draco, not your father. I've got to go, Draco said. He stood up. I've got to go off and think about this. Take your time. The sounds of the train platform changed from blurs into murmurs as Draco wandered off. Harry slowly exhaled the air he'd been holding in without quite realizing it, and then looked at the watch on his wrist, a simple mechanical model that his father had bought him in hope it would work in magic's presence. The second hand was still ticking, and if the minute hand was right, then it wasn't quite 11 just yet. He probably ought to get on the train soon and start looking for what's-her-face, but it seemed worth taking a few minutes first to do some breathing exercises and see if his blood warmed up again. But when Harry looked up from his watch, he saw two figures approaching, looking utterly ridiculous with their faces cloaked by winter scarves. Hello, Mr. Bronze, said one of the masked figures. Can we interest you in joining the Order of Chaos? Aftermath Not too long after that, when all the day's fuss had finally subsided, Draco was bent over a desk with Quill in hand. He had a private room in the Slytherin dungeons, with its own desk and its own fire. Sadly, not even he rated a connection to the flu system, but at least Slytherin didn't buy into that utter nonsense about making everyone sleep in dorms. There weren't many private rooms. You had to be the very best within the house of the better sort. But that could be taken for granted with the house of Malfoy. Dear Father, Draco wrote. And then he stopped. Ink slowly dripped from his quill, staining the parchment near the words. Draco wasn't stupid. He was young, but his tutors had trained him well. Draco knew that Potter probably felt a lot more sympathy toward Dumbledore's faction than Potter was letting on, though Draco did think Potter could be tempted. But it was crystal clear that Potter was trying to tempt Draco just as Draco was trying to tempt him. And it was also clear that Potter was brilliant. And a whole lot more than just slightly mad. And playing a vast game that Potter himself mostly didn't understand. Improvised at top speed with the subtlety of a rampaging nundu. But Potter had managed to choose a tactic that Draco couldn't just walk away from. He had offered Draco a part of his own power. Gambling that Draco couldn't use it without becoming more like him. His father had called this an advanced technique, and had warned Draco that it often didn't work. Draco knew he hadn't understood everything that had happened, but Potter had offered him the chance to play, and right now it was his, and if he blurted the whole thing out, it would become father's. In the end, it was as simple as that. The lesser techniques required the unawareness of the target, or at least their uncertainty. Flattery had to be plausibly disguised as admiration. You should have been in Slytherin, is an old classic, highly effective on a certain type of person who isn't expecting it. And if it works, you can repeat it. But when you find someone's ultimate lever, it doesn't matter if they know you know. Potter, in his mad rush, had guessed a key to Draco's soul. And if Draco knew that Potter knew it, even if it had been an obvious sort of guess, that didn't change anything. So now, for the first time in his life, he had real secrets to keep. He was playing his own game. There was an obscure pain to it, but he knew that father would be proud, and that made it all right. Leaving the ink drippings in place, there was a message there, and one that his father would understand, for they had played the game of subtleties more than once. Draco wrote out the one question that really had gnawed at him about the whole affair. The part that seemed he ought to understand, but he didn't. Not at all. Dear Father, Suppose I told you that I met a student at Hogwarts not already part of our circle of acquaintances, who called you a flawless instrument of death, and who said that I was your one weak point. What would you say about him? It didn't take long after that for the family owl to bring the reply. My beloved son, I would say that you had been so fortunate as to meet someone who enjoys the intimate confidence of our friend and valuable ally, Severus Snape. Draco stared at the letter for a while, and finally threw it into the fire. End Chapter 7 Thank you to the following people. Fred and George Weasley by Greg Krauss. Mr. Durian by Bram Bucker. Quibbler Headlines by Phil Fuliu. Lucius Malfoy, voiced by Martek Tex. This chapter's original text, production notes, and attribution links, along with archives and much more, can be found at hpmorpodcast.com. If you would like to learn more about the art of rationality, please visit LessWrong.com, an online community of aspiring rationalists founded by Eliezer Yudkowsky. Some sound effects used are courtesy of the Free Sound Project. The music used is Catch That Goblin by Skaven. Thank you for listening, and come back next week for Chapter 8, Positive Bias.